Uh, if you guys can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, today is a passage about my relationship with you and your relationship with me. We're going to do a little defining the relationship. And by the way, uh, we have guests here today, family visiting out of town. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming. But my hope is that if you are part of a local church, uh, what we learn in 1 Peter 5 today, you'll take with you and take it to heart uh, that God has defined the relationship between you as the church attender, participant, the body of Christ, and the elders, leaders, spiritual pastors in the church. And so we're going to do a little defining the relationship. What is God's expectations on us as pastors and elders in the church? And what is God's expectation on you as the sheep, the flock, the body of Christ here? So, whether you know it or not, you all have settled into a way of relating to us. Is it biblical? How do you know if how you relate to us is God's plan for you? Can you look in the mirror or can you... Judge that based upon how you feel about it. I feel pretty good about how I relate to Pastor Seth. I feel pretty good about it, right? Can you do that? Not really. But at the same time, us as elders in the church have actually learned to relate to you all in a certain way. In the same way, I can't look in the mirror and say, I feel pretty good about how I relate to the church family, so I'm pretty good. We have to look to the Word. Now, often out of fear or even bitterness, pastors or elders will turn to really unhealthy ways of relating to the flock. And so today we want to look at the word to see what Peter has in store for us, or God has in store for us through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. But I have to do this. I got to just, we've covered everything prior to this in the book of Peter, and I just got to do a quick just shotgun approach through it, and just in light of everything he said to us. So he told us that we're travelers. In light of the fact that we are travelers, we're foreigners on the way to a king, and we don't belong here. And as pilgrims, we're, we're actually on our way through trials. So don't be surprised by that. We will experience hardship as we live for a time we cannot see. And since we belong to Christ, Peter calls us to be holy, as he says in chapter 2, living a life holy unto the Lord. He also says that living a life for Jesus is meant to impact, in chapter 3, our marriages, if you happen to be married. It's meant to impact the way we witness or share about Christ with people. And also calling us to be alert in the middle of a very kind of drowsy world. And then lastly, we closed out chapter 4 with the fact that we are in a test. Tests come into our life to reveal what's inside And we have to pay attention to the test that God has for us so that we can see what really is going on inside of us. So you see, God knew this faith journey would be tough. We're closed. This is the last sermon you all are going to hear in 2021. There you go. That tells you how the years are running together, right? This is the final sermon you will hear in 2021. And God knew that this journey of loving him and trusting him and living by faith would be really hard. And so not only did he not want us to have to live under the burden of our sin, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, giving us eternal life through faith in him. 
He also gave us the Holy Spirit as the guide, the helper, and the one who would help us, empower us, and fuel us to live for him. And not only did he forgive us of our sins through Christ, and not only did he give us the Holy Spirit, he actually gave us an example to follow. This is why the word is so powerful that we can actually look at Christ and see how God intended man to live in relationship with the Father. But it's not only that. There's more that he's given us in this difficult journey. And in light of the test in chapter 4, God has given us a really cool gift. Here it is. The local church. I don't know how you think of the local church, but God actually has a plan to bless his people and work out his purposes on the planet through the local church. And specifically, the dynamic between the church leads servants of elders, deacons, pastors. People are shepherding people. And the flock. And God has prescribed a way of how we relate to each other. And that we have, we're going to see today that we have a responsibility. And my hope is at the end of today... You all will feel either a greater confidence in your, your walk as you continue to relate in the fellowship here, or you get reminded or told what's true, and you change the way you think as you move into 2022. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, to see how God defines the pastor-flock relationship. And I want to just ask the Lord to help us understand the text, just five verses today, and then uh, we'll get moving through as we ask the Lord to teach us. Lord, thanks so much for uh, your word and how it grounds us. Again, I keep saying this, Lord, but it grounds us to reality. Um, Lord, please forgive us as we look to the world for truth or we look in the mirror to establish truth. Lord, help us to look to your word. And help us to trust in you. Help us to find hope for this life in your truth and your reality. Lord, in this short time as we define the relationship and talk about the dynamic between elders and the church and uh, the church flock and what, what exactly is the responsibility. Would you just help us understand what our role is? Thank you for convicting me this week, um, even preparing this and, and being ready for this, that my heart would be exposed to you and there would just be a time of um, learning and being reminded what's true and right. We love you. And uh, again, just help us understand this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5, let's just read it in verses 1 through 5. Uh, Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. So let's see as we look back in verse 1, we're going to see how Peter motivates 
or has a heart-to-heart with the elders or leaders of the church, and he realizes because of the suffering he's mentioned, the stuff they're going through in the province of Asia, he realizes there is a desperate need for strong, courageous spiritual leaders. Now, looking at the text, we're just going to kind of march down through this. He says, to the elders among you. Now, some of you children in the house might think elders, these are just old people, right? But actually, elders is, here it is, the assembly of aged men or ripe experience. I kind of take offense to that. I'm one of the elders. Aged or ripe, honestly, it often refers to those who are of spiritual maturity. And the terms pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, these are common terms that are really used in Scripture to describe those who are accountable to God, caring for the church family, who are grounded in the Word, and helping people grow. So one had to have spiritual maturity to be a leader of the church. And you can all sit, look it up. Again, we're not going to take the full detail of time to look it up, but in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, there's a list of qualifications of those who are elders or pastors or overseers in the church. And I would use four terms to kind of sum it up. One is they have to be able to teach the word of God accurately. Two is they have to have a level of humility, right? Three, self-control. And four, they have to be a servant. Uh, did you notice they don't have to be persuasive? They don't have to be, you know, have a following of people. They don't have to have domineering. They don't have to have great leadership skills. But they have to know the word, be humble about it, serve, and be self-controlled. Now, Peter's saying to the elders, he's assuming that these churches that are scattered throughout the provinces of Asia, they are going to have spiritual leaders who are caring for or responsible for the local gatherings, the local flocks. And that really is the defining mark of a New Testament church. One of the defining marks of a New Testament church is that there are, so there's somebody in the house who knows what the word of God says and is studying to show themselves approved. Now, that is a defining mark of a church. That is actually one of the defining marks of this church. If you're on the church board, can you kind of throw your hand in the air, wave it around a little bit, just so in the house you guys know, they're too central. Nathan back here. So basically, the next 20 minutes, I'm going to preach to these three guys, and the rest of you guys can just observe and watch, right? Because Peter gives some clear directions for elders or people who are spiritual leaders. But it's also your adult Bible fellowship leaders. Those people also are really concerning themselves with your spiritual well-being. So, he says that there are, uh, he appeals to, he says this, I appeal or exhort or I invoke or I beseech you. In a sense, Peter is actually snapping the fingers and saying, hey, this is the group I'm talking to. And before he actually gives the appeal in verse 2, he uses three things to motivate the local church leaders. And actually, in doing some soul-searching this week and taking this before the Lord, these three things actually motivate me. I was reading this, and I'm like, oh yeah, I I think I'm going to listen to this. This motivates. The first one you see, he says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. This is camaraderie. In other words, Peter gives them the special status of sharing fellow eldership. Now, I don't know, in our non-traditional, kind of non-historical loving church, that oftentimes we don't just have a real drive towards history, I don't think we can realize how important or valuable this is, but in this first century church, a letter from the Apostle Peter 
to the elders who says, I'm like one of you. You're in this with me. There's a shared experience. I know what you feel. I'm an elder too, and we're in this together. So Peter seeks to appeal to them to listen to him in verse 2 because of we're in this together. He goes on to say, and a witness of Christ's suffering. This really affirms Peter's authority as an apostle. It really demands attention. So yes, we're in this together, but guess what? I saw the resurrected Christ. I saw his earthly ministry. I saw him die on the cross. I saw the whole thing. And now I want you to listen to me as the authority. And that really was a mark of an apostle that you had to see the resurrected Christ. And then thirdly, he appeals to anticipation. So we're in this together. I have authority to tell you this. And now I want to tell you this, that we will share in the glory to be revealed. And here he relates with anticipation. It's kind of like, hey, I know this life is hard, but do you know we're all who by faith in Jesus will get to heaven? It's like when you sing that song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. There's something about in that that makes you go, there's something to look forward to. He says there's a day of anticipation where Christ in his glory will share that experience with us. And no doubt, I'm confident, Peter, when he says, we'll share in the glory to be revealed, he had to be thinking back to Matthew 17, the transfiguration, where he takes the three up in the mountain, and the glory of God's revealed on Jesus, and he hears a voice, this is my son, I'm well pleased. He had to be thinking this through. So, in verse 1, we see to the elders, he uses motivation to get him ready, and now, the three elders in the room here, I want you to listen to what we have to say in verse 2. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now, being shepherd literally means to shepherd or care for or tend. And we have all different ideas of what a shepherd is, and yet none of, very few of us actually have interaction with sheep. But we're going to see in this text what Peter had in mind. You're going to see in these verses ahead, care for, watch over, serve, and be an example. So we're going to unpack that here in a minute, but care for, watch over, serve, and be an example. And then he talks about heart issues, willingness. Not begrudging, not have to, but willingness. So notice he says, be shepherds of God's flock. Notice he didn't say be shepherds of your flock. Be shepherds of God's flock. And it implies divine ownership and that the church that Peter was talking to here belonged to God, not the elders. In the same way, I got thinking about even this church fellowship as we close out 2021. This church doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to Sid, Nathan, or any other guys on the board. We're all going to serve for a season, and Lord willing, if Christ doesn't come back yet, you all will experience a new elder, new leaders, new spiritual people who are trying to shepherd and guide. But here he implies, this is God's flock. And a lot of churches honestly have forgotten this, a lot of elders. And uh, Peter wanted them to realize that thing you're laboring for, that thing you're trying to build up and encourage, that's not yours. That's God's. And honestly, I have watched even in friends who are in ministry who have forgotten this and have had like emotional breakdowns trying to keep churches together in 2020. 
somehow taking on this emotional weight that I'm trying to shepherd my church. Peter says, be shepherds of God's church. And notice he says that is under your care. There is a divine placement when God places local elders and the local church people together. There's a sovereign plan that you all are sitting here hearing me teach today. Everybody can take a deep breath. You all got out of bed, and you're sitting here, and it is all part of God's plan. It's very important for pastors not to look or even compare to other churches. It's so interesting. You get in pastor circles, and they shepherd circles, and you start talking about churches, and, oh, they're doing this over here. And he says, no, no, no. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now, apart from the few family visitors today and a few people that are newer, you all are under our care. He says it. Make sure that you shepherd the flock that's under your influence. And just as through the years when I used to have Nathan's role here at the church and spend a lot of time, a lot of time with kids, I used to confidently look at parents and say, you are God's will for your children. It may not feel it, but you are God's will for your children. And your children, no matter what they're going through, are God's will for you. Parents are usually okay with the one that I'm God's will for my kids. They're not always okay when their kids are going through what they're going through, hearing, my children are God's will for me. In the same way, I can confidently say that you all are God's will for us as elders. For whatever reason you've chosen to fellowship here, you are God's will for us as elders and shepherds in the church. But I can also confidently say, for whatever reason has brought us here, you here, we are God's will for you as well. So shepherds are to keep in mind who the flock belongs to. We're also to keep in mind that, they, uh, that the focus is to stay on the local church that God's given to them. So Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Can I just roll back the curtain a little bit and be brutally honest with you all? No? You guys would prefer me not? <laughs> all right. I wrote down a full page of ways that we're seeking to shepherd you all. I don't know if you guys ever th- think about this. Maybe you think we just, like, you know, spend all day reading the Bible in the office. Or we just spend time putting out problems. But there actually is a rhyme or reason to why we do what we do. So I'm just going to be, can you handle honesty at the end of the year? Okay. All right, here are some ways that we seek to shepherd you. We want to encourage corporate worship together. There's something spiritually eternal about believers in Jesus getting together, singing songs, hearing the word, encouraging each other. What we've observed as shepherds is that people are coming less and less often. So when I reach out to you, because I've noticed you've kind of pulled away, it's actually not a recommendation to get back into the corporate worship. It's I'm seeking to shepherd you that you need, even if you don't realize why, you need the corporate worship of God together with the local church. So I'd encourage you to put a little weight 
into that. If we reach out to you, it's not that, oh, you haven't been here. It is, we know that there is something spiritually, spiritually magical, spiritually amazing about the body of Christ coming together in corporate worship to him. Number two, building spiritual friendships. I know this as a shepherd, the stronger the spiritual bond with other believers, the healthier you are. We make no mistake about it. Outside of our corporate worship, we seek to gather uh, people together in groups on Sunday morning. We call that adult Bible fellowships and our kids build. We are about, four, current state of affairs here, we're about 40% down in involvement in those adult Bible fellowships. I told you I could roll back the curtain, right? No? Yes? Keep nodding. Keep nodding yes. I'm going to be honest. All right. This fall, I began praying through and seeing who's disconnected. I reached out to many of you, encouraging you back into adult Bible fellowships. That wasn't intended to be a recommendation. It was intended to, when God says, through Peter, to shepherd the flock, it's saying is, you need fellowship to be a healthy follower of Christ. Keep going here. We try to grow you in the word. Some of you uh, have gotten a communication from me about Pastor Jim's study, the Foundations Study. Did you know I didn't send that to everybody? I actually took some time a few weeks ago, prayed and said, Lord, would you please show me who I need to invite to Jim's study to build their foundation and be encouraged in the authority of Scripture. So if I reached out to you, that was after I prayed and asked God. I went through a a list of all everybody who comes to church here, and the Lord put specific people on my heart that I reached out to. I want to put a little weight. I don't know why the Lord put you on my heart, but he did. And so put some weight towards that invitation. I encourage you. Don't know if you know this, but uh, Pastor Sid, every month he takes a day away from the office, away from all your phone calls and emails and Nathan and I's distractions, to consult the Lord about what the next four weeks are feeding, spiritual feeding are supposed to look like. So when we casually say, well, I went to church last week, but not this week, what you're doing is you're actually disregarding Sid's attempt to shepherd you in the word. Take another layer. Students in the house who go to uh, in the high school, any high schoolers in the room, put your hands up real quick. I'm going to totally embarrass Nathan. A lot of youth pastors will just take whatever group or whatever curriculum comes their way and they just regurgitate it. I don't know if you know how special it is that Nathan's taking you through the book of Romans. He's doing that because he wants to shepherd your heart and the things that matter most. And when you write it off and go, well, I was there last week, you actually remove yourself from that shepherding that's been intended for you to grow in God's word. And the more dependent on the word the flock is, the healthier the church family is. And then lastly, we give you invitations to serve. By the way, we can just walk in the door, hear some teaching, and walk out the door. So quite frankly, God can accomplish his purposes without any one of us. But when you get the invitations, sometimes as we pray about these things, sometimes 
the Lord puts it on our heart that we see something in some of you that you don't see in yourself. That you don't see the work of God in your life. And so as you guys get invites to serve in particular areas, I'd encourage you to see that as us intending to shepherd you. We're trying to be obedient to what God says through his word here in chapter 2. So he says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to. Now, watching over them, uh, shepherds are to continue to scan the horizon for danger. And it could be doctrine, it could be sin, it could be potential pitfalls in the Christian life, but just know this. Spiritual leaders are to confront sin that could devastate your spiritual life. And I, just a quick confessional. I know the guys on our leadership, and we would rather never confront an issue ever, ever. None of us like it. None of us want to do that. But if we didn't, we wouldn't be shepherds. And even as shepherds, as we scan the horizon, as we confront sin or help people through this, we have to continuously deal with our sin nature and remember the grace that we've received through Jesus Christ. So just a quick warning to elders in the house. Shepherding includes teaching. But teaching is not all you do in shepherding. He says to watch over people. It's taking the time to assess the direction of their life. It's taking the time to prayerfully consider what they need next and inviting them or challenging them to take those next steps in their journey. And just a quick heads up to all of you here. If you find one of the elders here in our church speaking into your life or challenging you in a particular area, can I encourage you to take that seriously? They would rather not do that. It's them stepping out and seeking to be obedient in these areas. Now we see in the text that Peter then goes on to the heart. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. God wants our motives as elders right, not just going through the motions. He doesn't want an elder to live by, I have to. You all know, Sid sick this week, found that out the day before the Christmas Eve service. And I had to continue to go through the heart, motion, heart addressing the heart issues of, do I get to or do I have to? He says, not because you have to, but because God wants you to. And elders, I'd encourage you, if the heart posture is, I have to do this, it's really a wrong heart posture. It's a gift. God wants us to serve because he wants us to, not because we have to. And I'd encourage us as, a, as men who are in this leadership, this should be like a daily almost thing. As any responsibilities we have in the flock, it should be a heart check. Am I doing this because I want to, because I want to please the Lord and love him, or am I doing this because I have to? He goes on to say, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Now, Peter and Paul both address this, but the false teachers were motivated in this time, and you can still see it today. They're motivated by financial gain and ways they can position themselves among the flock to benefit. And uh, Scripture's clear. Um, we see it in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 5. Scripture's clear that for those who are committed to the teaching of the word, that it's appropriate for the church to pay their elders or leaders who are committed to that. 
Um, and I would say this, that Open Door has excelled for years. I've been around for 16 years, and the church has excelled this way. And, but it's saying is there should be honesty and integrity. And just so you all know, us pastors who actually get paid, like have a salary, we have no idea. We have no involvement or no idea on any of the giving. So I want to encourage you, there is a system of checks and balances, but it's not us. We're not in that mix. That he says this, not pursuing dishonest gain. There should be integrity, and there should be safeguards to make sure that these are above reproach. But honesty and eagerness to serve should be the fuel of the shepherd. And in the church family, you see here that not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, there really are not church leaders there are just lead servants. And we're going to see this in a minute, but he says that there should be those who are really kind of leading the example who are eager to serve. Now look at verse 3. He says this, Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but be an example to the flock. Lording is domination or leadership by manipulation and intimidation. And while we seek to shepherd you all, just a quick confession, while we seek to shepherd you all, we're constantly dealing with our own sin nature. We're constantly dealing with our insecurities, uh, worrying about what people think. We're constantly worried, or worried, we're constantly uh, dealing with our own sin nature of another person struggling with this. Again, and he says, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you. And so there's a posture of serving. And then he refers to those entrusted. It's kind of like this. I give my kids the keys to my cars, but I don't give them the car. And so when I hand them the key, there's a certain expectation of what? It's going to come back. And Nate and Judah now understand that it also doesn't come back empty. Right? I don't have an eighth of a tank when I get in the car with the, the fuel light on, right? There's a certain level of putting in charge as you entrust something. Financial advisors understand this. I had a financial advisor I entrust money to. I don't actually give them money. I give them money with what? Expectations that I hopefully will get it back and some. And that there's a fiduciary responsibility or in stewardship here. He says, not lording it over those who have been entrusted, meaning they don't belong to me. He says, but be an example to the flock. Now this is Peter, who just years before witnessed Jesus in John 13, just before going to the cross, took out his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, just the night before, and washed the feet of Jesus, or washed the feet of the disciples, and he says, if I, your... Lord, or Master, have done this, so you ought also to do as I have done. So shepherds are commanded not to lord it over those entrusted, but be an example. And so, question for the shepherds in the house. Do you have a public life the flock can follow? Do you have a public life the flock can follow? That's usually what the church family watches and follows. The other question I have is, do you have a private life that the flock can follow? This is usually what your wife and kids see and follow. 
This is why the qualities outlined in Scripture talk about a private life as well that's in order. So if you find yourself, and again, this is just a quick application, but if you find yourself shepherding someone in some type of a serving role, leading role, just remember this. God wants you to be an example. Through the years, um, I have watched parents fret about the right choice for their kids. Should they do this school or that school? Should they go here? Should they go here? Should I buy this? Should I buy this? And I think a lot of that can actually be simplified with parents being an example. You'll export what's inside. You don't export just decisions. You export what's inside, and he calls us to be an example. Now, keep in mind, in verse 4, he says this, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So he says this, when the chief shepherd appears, this is Jesus. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. And in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the shepherd, good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And when shepherds in the church forget that there are more than just the two parties, me, you, when they forget that there's not the chief shepherd coming back, they fail to be faithful. It's really important, friends, that we must remember there is a chief shepherd. Our role as shepherds is lower case for sure. It's a really strong warning for us because he says this, the chief or the boss when he appears, this really is referring to his second coming when he's visible. And if you take your hand and you flip back to chapter 1, you can see in the first 10 verses, he encourages the people he's writing to. I'm so encouraged. You love Jesus even though you've never seen him. Peter saw him. But he's telling his audience, he's writing to, you love Jesus even though you've never seen him. And he says it's really important to remember this. He is coming back. And when he returns... He will stand ready to judge and reward faithful service. I believe this is why he gave us the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. It's where the master has some talents or money, and he entrusts the three different servants, and he goes away. And when he comes back, he expects stewardship, and then he rewards stewardship. I believe this is what God's given to us who are shepherding or caring for people, that God desires for us to remember that the chief shepherd is coming back. And when he appears, he mentions it here, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, 1 Corinthians 3 captures it, that believers in Jesus will have a day of judgment. Not condemnation. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation, but there will be a day of judgment, of reward. And I believe for shepherds, it's especially true that there will be a day of reward that when Christ comes back. Now, the crown here, or the crown of glory, is literally the crown which is eternal glory. And if you've read scripture very long, you know there's different crowns, a crown of life, the crown of glory, uh, the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing. And uh, I just read this this last week, but John MacArthur says this, all the crowns describe certain characteristics of eternal life with God. 
So when we try to pick it apart and say, ah, is this, what particular crown is this? I actually think it's actually different aspects of enjoyment of this eternal life with God. Now, just a quick reminder, John 17, knowing Christ is eternal life. So when we think of eternal life as a destination, we fail to realize the purpose of eternal life. Eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. And he says this, this crown which is eternal glory, there is a reward. There is a reward of a presence, the reward of joyful presence with the Lord. Now, notice the reward, who it comes from. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Probably the biggest sinful struggle of shepherds is worrying what people think. Living for the applause of people. Notice here in verse 4, shepherds, the reward comes from the chief shepherd himself. And I personally can't think of any higher reward. And I want to encourage you that not only is the chief shepherd appearing meant to call us to action and call us and remind us and help us remember that we're not the boss, but it's also to encourage us when things are hard. Now, in case you've said, all right, Seth, you came to talk to the three in the room. There's another side of this relationship, and we're going to lastly see what the role of a flock is in relationship to shepherds or leaders in the church. And I'll give them to you right up front. You guys can see them there on your outline. Uh, number one is to submit to our shepherding or leadership. And number two, to clothe yourself with humility in the process. And I want to warn you to listen to these because... Again, I've brought this up before, but as Americans, we don't like the word submit. We chafe at it. Submission and humility is not really about us as shepherds. In other words, do I like them or do I not? It really is a matter, you're going to see this in a minute, it's really about what kind of posture do you want to be in your walk with the Lord? So let's unpack this verse 5 as we close this out. He says, in the same way, Peter's connecting what he just said to the elders, what we're to do, and he connects it with this coming thought. He says, those who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. Now in context, the elder is the shepherd, a pastor, right? And the members of the the people of the flock are to submit to the shepherding. But this text is highlighting a command, especially for those who might be younger in age, or younger in spiritual maturity. And he says, as you're growing, if there are people spiritually down the road of you, make sure that you submit to their spiritual leadership. Submission is absolutely core to spiritual maturity. Paul highlights it. We see it many times throughout his writings. And I would say that an unwillingness to submit to spiritual leadership is not sin, but it's also it's not only sin, but it's also a sign of immaturity. And do know this, the Bible never assumes that spiritual leaders are always going to get it right. When he commands them to submit to the elders, he doesn't assume that the local church elders in this province of Asia are going to be always hitting it out of the park. He understands that there's an accountability and they'll give account to the chief shepherd. So just my personal thoughts and practical implications on this about submission. In practice, 
I believe there's really two things that need to be in place for you as the flock to be in a posture of submission. Number one, you've got to be convinced that the elders in the church have a commitment to the authority of the word of God. Secondly, you have to be convinced that we love you. I believe those are it. The authority of the word of God and that we love you. My hope and prayer is that as you guys interact and know as pastors and the other guys in the church leadership here, my hope and prayer is that you're here because you believe that we hold the authority of the word of God and that we do love you. I would go so far to say if you don't believe that we believe in the authority of the word and that we love you, you should go find a church that does. Find a church that does so that you will obey what verse 5 says in submission. Not too often, <clears throat> I've observed, not only in this fellowship, but most of my life in the way I've even interacted with the church leaders, we've interacted with church leaders as consumers. It's like a TED Talk, right? You come, we speak. Did I like that? No, I didn't. Disregard. Go to the next TED Talk. And actually, when we relate as the flock to spiritual shepherds as consumers and disregard what we don't like, it actually harms our spiritual growth. It actually removes us from that blessing of having a shepherd nurturing and caring. And so I just want to warn you that we pay the spiritual price on our journey and we end up going through seasons of discipline and hardship because we will not listen or submit to spiritual shepherds. Now notice the text says in verse 5, he says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. The all of you leaves none of us out. That is the pastor to the flock, the flock to the pastor, the parent to the child, the child to the parent, the friend to the friend. Everybody just pause, don't look at me, look around. This is the awkward moment, look around. Yeah, don't look at me. Look around. Okay? He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility to one another. Now, I assume that none of you magically had these clothes on when you woke up. Maybe a few teenagers did in the house. But I assume you all halfway looked in the mirror. I hope most of you brushed your teeth. And I assume there was a process of putting on. Putting on makeup, putting on hair, putting on clothes. We understand putting on. He says, we are to put on humility. And when it comes to relating to the church family, there's this process of not just thinking of yourself, uh, not thinking of your, uh, less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. As we relate in humility, it's actually realizing that what I know is partial information. I don't know everything, and neither do you. And so when I relate to the church family and you relate to the church family, we come with humility recognizing that that person that I have in my life, maybe God wants to teach me something through them. There's humility. And he says, just like Jesus took off his outer garment and put on the towel, we are to put on humility on a day-by-day -day basis. 
So the question I have for you as we wrap it up here is pride keeping you from attending or belonging to an adult Bible fellowship? Is pride keeping you from seeking reconciliation with somebody? Is pride keeping you from serving? He says this, you are to clothe yourself with humility. Why? Look at it. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? I'm going to read it again. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we realize this, friends, it would greatly impact how we relate to others on the hot topics of the day. I would encourage you as a shepherd to be absolutely confident of what the Bible clearly speaks on. But be humble about how you apply and how you judge others' application of biblical principles. Humility acknowledges that life's problems and issues are nuanced and complex. Humility acknowledges that there are others who love Christ who land differently than you. I've watched so many Christians pridefully and blindly uh, lay blanket statements about culture and life and hurt people along the way. Through the years, Anya and I have actually, uh, we've heard so many in our raising our kids, people are so passionate about education. And so some people believe homeschooling is the only way. And then some people believe, oh, Christian school is the only way. And then you got others who are super passionate about evangelism. Well, public school is the only way. Well, Anya and I love Jesus, and we've used all three. And yet people who are so passionate about one have hurt people along the way. I'm going to put my finger on a very uh, sensitive issue. Vaccines. In the body of Christ. Everybody just got uncomfortable, a little squirmy. We ought to be absolute what the word of God says. We ought to be highly gracious about the application of biblical truths or the biblical principles. In this fellowship, we are called to humble ourselves. And it's not about schools. It's not about medical choices. It's not about any of those things. Look at this. It's about God opposes the proud. I believe God cares more about our humility than our perfect choices. I believe God cares more about our humility than us always getting the right choice. And I know some of you are okay just blasting people with your thoughts or opinions or beliefs and hurting people along the way, but you might be okay with it. But obviously from the text, God is not okay with it. So do you ultimately, the question is really this, do you ultimately want to stand in opposition to God in your walk with life? I want to give you how you can do that. Lack humility in the way you relate to others. Think you know better than everyone else. Don't submit to spiritual leadership. And as a result, you might just feel opposition from God in your life. Do you want to experience a fresh inpouring of God's grace? Here it is. Humble yourself and your attitude and actions and submit to spiritual leadership. Humility is a prerequisite for experiencing God's grace. So I want to close with this. God has revealed his word, and there are clear expectations of how we relate to each other. 
pastors, elders, you are to care for, shepherd, serve, and be an example. So this is a question, these are questions that I actually wrestle with, and I want to encourage the three or four of you in here is this. Have you reduced your role to just teaching? Have you mo- uh, slipped into duty? And have you become passive and not realized the chief shepherd's returning? These are hard issues, guys. We've got to continue to cultivate this to the Lord. And lastly, to the flock. You are to actively seek to submit and put on humility. Are you aware that we're attempting to shepherd you? Is that news to you? Have you thought about that? We're attempting to shepherd your spiritual life. Are you resisting phone calls, invites, nudges to grow spiritually? And are you putting on humility in your relationship to others? I want to encourage you with this. If you're not putting on humility to others... The way to experience God's grace on that daily basis is to repent. Is to acknowledge your sin before God. Confess it to him and turn from that sin. Friends, we clearly teach that Christ died and rose again for us. But he was writing to a New Testament church and he says... You could, on a moment-by-moment, daily basis, you could stand in opposition to God by standing in pride. He warns us here. And he's given us clear directions on this relationship. So I want to encourage you as we enter 2022, can you enter with a renewed heart? I want to enter with a renewed heart to shepherd because I get to. And would you enter with a renewed heart of submission and humility to our intent to encourage and support you. I think 2022 can be a fabulous year of spiritual growth. But we've got a relationship. It's been defined by the Lord, and we've got a purpose. Okay? Let's pray, and I'm going to encourage you guys to celebrate this new year with a new new sense of this gift of the local church. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for uh, your, your reality that confronts Sometimes our ruts, sometimes our way of relating. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us of what's true. Thank you, Lord. Lord, would you help us as we consider the changes that need to make, uh, the, the course correction that we need to change as your children? Lord, would you help us to really think through ways that we can relate to you, to the fellowship here in a way that would glorify you? We love you so much, and um, may this church family be faithful. Uh, Would you help us as elders to be committed to your word like never before? And would you help us to love your, your church, your flock, faithfully until the chief shepherd appears? And Lord, would you help us as a church family to submit and be humble, engage humility daily? Your word is truth, and so we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen.